Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Booth Talk from the After Movie Diner. And on this episode, we're incredibly happy uh, to bring you an interview that we did with S. Craig Zala, the director of the brand new and awesome Western Bone Tomahawk, starring Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, Richard Jenkins, and also this week's guest, Sid Haig. Yes, Sid Haig, who uh, crops up in the beginning of this movie uh, with a fantastic character and a fantastic cameo. We got to speak to the legendary Sid Haig as well. What a fantastic experience. We're going to bring you both of those interviews back to back right now. S. Craig Zala, the writer-director of Bone Tomahawk, and Sid Haig, the legendary Sid Haig, who's had a fantastic career, and we talked to him about that and about Bone Tomahawk. Hey. Hey, Craig. How are you doing today, sir? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. So I saw Bone Tomahawk last night, and I have to say it was absolutely fantastic. I loved every minute of it. It was really um, gripping, um, as well as a great character study. Uh, so I believe the uh, story started off as a novel. Is that correct? Uh, I, uh, sort of. Um, this, the origin of this project was I was going to do a micro-budget horror movie, and uh, I'd had... Uh, I think this, in 2011, I'd had about uh, 20, 21 different scripts uh, sold or optioned uh, into the Hollywood machine, and none of them made. And I was pretty tired of it, and I was watching a lot of micro-budget independent horror and was going to make one of those. And I had a meeting with my manager uh, and friend and the uh, main producer of this movie, Dallas Sarnier, and my agent and said, I'm going to do a micro-budget horror movie and just pay for it myself. And my manager, Dallas Sonia, suggested that I adapt a book of mine that's called Race of the Broken Land uh, into a low-budget uh, Western with, you know, with some horror elements. And the scale of that book is massive, and it's probably ten times as nasty as Bone Tomahawk uh, and really very, very elaborate. And there was, there was no way I, I thought I could do something like that uh, for anything less than a gigantic budget, not to mention it's a book. And I would have to, you know, put two-thirds of it in the toilet at the beginning of the process to even get it down to movie length. So instead I said, let me write another Western that is a rescue mission. And that's how Bone Tomahawk came about. So the uh, it, it, it came about in, in that way. There is no book that's Bone Tomahawk, but Race for the Broken Land, is a rescue mission western, uh, which was sort of the starting point for Bone Tomahawk. But none of the characters or events are the same. It's just kind of the same ensemble character piece of people looking for um, uh, people who've been kidnapped in, in the Old West. Right. And obviously there are sort of multiple genres I see that you've, you've worked in, and there's two sort of main genres in this film. Were you a big fan of genre filmmaking growing up was that sort of your ideal a horror sci-fi western those kind of things 
Yeah, the, the, the thing is, the interesting thing about genre, uh, because uh, certainly for me, if you ask me my 20 favorite books, my 20 favorite movies, uh, these, these are all going to be genre. Maybe, maybe there's... And, and I actually think pretty much everything is genre, because I think if you're doing family drama, this is a genre. But I know that at this point, it means kind of if you're going, uh, if you're going a little bit further into niche interests, like science fiction and horror, crime, westerns, and I write all of those. I've also written sitcoms and, and romance, uh, but I, I tend to favor western, science fiction, uh, crime, and horror. And um, so in, in the case of Bone Tomahawk and my published westerns, uh, I, I feel that they're all westerns, but when they get dark, they just go a lot further than you'd expect. Like, I, I feel Bone Tomahawk is a Western uh, through and through and delivers on the elements of that genre that I'm interested in delivering. Uh, but when it gets into the nasty stuff, uh, it gets very nasty. And so it has, you know, five or six scenes of horror in it, and three, three of those are extreme horror. So I understand that for most people it feels like it's a genre bender, but for me, uh, it's a western. It's focusing on a group of people uh, out in the, you know out in the frontier, and that frontier is a moral and physical crucible for them. And that kind of adventure story is to me what a western is. Uh, and you could, if the uh, if if the all of the horror elements were dulled down, this could essentially be the same story. I'm just uh, a horror fan, and, and as a writer, my process is to surprise myself, so I tend to take things uh, further than uh, than even I'm expecting when I write them. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely uh, agree and see where you're coming from. I think there's the necessity is sometimes in order to push it to other people, people have to, like, put things in little uh, pigeonholes, but then I try not to, but... Right. Uh, yeah, that's it's just and, and, I, and I understand why a lot of people say this is a horror western, and I, it, it's just not how I see the piece. But I know why right. people see it that way, and I adore horror, so it's not. You know, sometimes you'll hear someone makes a horror movie, and they talk about it like it's a thriller, and they're trying to soft sell it. And I'm, I'm a horror fan, and I was going to go make a horror movie, but when yeah. I make a movie that's a horror movie, the bottom line, the bottom line of that experience is it will be a scary experience kind of for, for its duration and maybe there would be breaks in it but the bottom line of a horror movie for me is scare somebody and that's not the bottom line of Bone Tomahawk it's certainly what I'm trying to do in a bunch of sequences but not the majority of sequences no it's a, I, I would I mean it's a slow burn tension builder rather than an out and out scare fest um, which is, right. and, one of, and, and therefore has far more in common like you say with a just a, just a full blown straight kind of dark old-fashioned, gritty Western. Um, and uh, so were there anything, when you were writing the novels or, or when you were prepping the movie, was there any kind of uh, research you came across that would kind of play into this idea of, um, you know, these people living in caves who were sort of doing these terrible things, these cannibalistic groups or whatever it was, um, either natives or whatever, was there, were there kind of campfire stories you came across or was there any actual real research that sort of went into that or is it all out of your imagination? Uh, it, it's out of my imagination. It, it, the the troglodytes and uh, the, the, the literary heritage of 
uh, bone tomahawk is is kind of twofold, and one is uh, westerns, which began with Owen Wister and, and the Virginians, um, went and kind of fully arrived as a genre right at the beginning with that book. And around the same time, there's an English author, H. Ryder Haggard, who wrote a book called King Solomon's Mind, and that's the first of what's considered uh, lost race fiction. And I and I'm a big fan of lost race fiction. And w- what these are, there uh, is. People are adventuring, and, and oftentimes it's, it's in Africa. You're dealing with a desert or perhaps it's a jungle, and you come across this hidden race that sort of had its, its own evolution and it's sequestered somewhere, and you get a different idea and, and, and just a different society removed from uh, the, the known societies. And so uh, Bone Tomahawk is, uh, is, is a conflation of these genres. It's the lost race fiction. It's it's a lost race story and a Western story uh, brought together. So the troglodytes are uh, they're fictional in, entirely. They're not they're not based on anybody. Right. And uh, and then it was a lot of me kind of reverse engineering them to uh, land with certain ideas and, and how they communicate uh, and also just their kind of utilitarian approach to living. And, uh, and, and how they function. Uh, so yeah. all, all of that is, is, is fiction and, and just comes from me wanting to see a, a Western that eventually lands in, in a new place, uh, you know, distinctive to uh, just this one, this, you know, one piece of fiction. Yeah, of course. Now, uh, this is your sort of first feature-length directorial film, right? Yes. Yeah. So as I could see just watching it, um, there are three things that would probably, uh, I would imagine, be most challenging for a first-timer, um, and that would be, uh, first of all, the starry cast. You've got an incredible cast in this movie, phenomenal actors, which we'll talk about in just a second. You've got a, a kind of a remote, probably difficult filming terrain uh, in, the, in the desert and the hills and the mountains of California. I think it was filmed there. And um, then lastly, obviously, the special effects in terms of the gore effects and the the, the violent effects. Um, did anything give you kind of pause for thought as you went in, or were you gung-ho for all of it? <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what, 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 what made me concerned was the, the shooting schedule for this, which we shot this movie in 21 days, and uh, our budget... Uh, not including some interest on loans was $1.8 million. So this isn't something where we could really solve a lot of our problems with money, uh, and we didn't have time for it. So the, the reality is every single element of a movie, of doing a movie this ambitious in 21 days for that amount of money, uh, you know, was a challenge. And uh, the my my, my preference is for all special effects, all stunts, all things like that to be done practically, and, and they are. So we're using, the, you know, when you see arrows fly in this movie, we're using the cutting-edge ter- technology of, of 1920, where people are sending arrows along trick lines, because I want the actors <laughs> to be able to react to real arrows. So it's not CG. We have one or two moments in the movie where we have to clean up something, uh, but everything you're looking at is done practically. All of the, um, all of the gore effects, uh, the people on the horses, pretty much all the stunts are performed 
by the actors uh, who, who are in those roles. I, there's only one shot uh, in the movie that's not performed by the, by the actors. And so there were challenges all across the board. And my insistence on practical effects for everything uh, didn't speed things up. And, and frankly, the amount of time we had to shoot this movie was just unfair to everybody. It was unfair to the actors. It was very unfair to the special effects team. And Hugo Villasenor uh, did, did a great job, um, but there was just stuff sometimes we didn't have time to go against. And some of the, a lot of the effects you're looking at in there are the first take, and if they're not the first take, they're the second take. And that was really all the time we had because resetting a special effect when you are cutting through latex uh, and, you know, and into these, fake limbs or body parts that have been built, like rebuilding that is, is very time-consuming, even if you have a, a fast-working crew. So uh, it, it, was, it was a challenge in, in many regards, but, uh, and, and not, you know, again, not really fair. The, probably the average take, just in terms of performance, was we, we did three or four takes of most shots, and so that's where we were with that. Uh, there's a fair amount of first and second take stuff in there. And, I, you know, the, a situation is when you're making a movie like this is is you need to be confident that you have what you need. And so when I saw something and I, and I knew it was, you know, I'm like, that's the take. And if it was the first one or the second one, great. Because then we're moving on and when we get into a jam, you know, with a, with, with another scene, we'll have time. And, you know, there's, there, there's, there's one day in particular, which is our first day, where we really kind of didn't make the day, where we had problems. I mean, we're using all of these real vintage guns, and, like, the gun was the gun kept falling apart and dirt was going in there. Um, especially, there, were, there were problems with the special, the special effects. There were problems with the location. And just everything. And people were doing stunts. And so it was just starting to pile up with, uh, if people weren't getting it right the first time uh, or one department got it right the first time but the other one got it right the second time and it didn't line up, uh, you know, this this starts to threaten your ability to make the day. But we, we were budgeted for 20 days and 20 days with a fair amount of overtime, which we certainly shot. And in, in the end, we wound up going one extra day. Um, so it was all of those elements. I mean, Horses aren't really known for hitting their mark on the first take. Right. So you're kind of figuring out, you're kind of figuring out shots that will work and ways to adjust when those horses don't hit their mark on the first take. Just to, just to cut, then. I mean, obviously, I wish we had more time, but Kurt Russell, Richard Jenkins, uh, Matthew Fox, and um, I'm going to forget the last guy's name now. Sorry, Patrick um, Wilson. That's it, Patrick Wilson. Absolutely phenomenal cast. I think they all give. Uh, great performances. Richard Jenkins is almost unrecognizable and incredible in the role. It's one of those small roles that should get nominated and be awarded, but but probably won't, sadly. How did you compile something, uh, this incredible cast like this, and what was it like for you a first time of working with these incredible people? Uh, the, the way they came on board was the script, and that's how everything like this begins, uh, because they were terribly paid, uh, you know, and even people like David Arquette coming in, probably for minimum wage, and Kurt Russell, Richard Jenkins, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, they just all really believed in the material. Uh, again, it was not a payday that any of these people came on board for. And uh, 
then they, you know, they spoke to me and, and I gave them confidence that I could get it done. And even though I'm a first timer, I directed theater and I'd worked as a cinematographer. So I, I went through in as much detail as any of them wanted to hear, uh, the, the, how we were going to shoot it and accomplish it. And I'm sure everyone had their doubts as to how this could be accomplished in this amount of time. But, um, I, I mean, it, for me, it wasn't really daunting dealing with these people is it's actually what doing something like this required because if you don't have performers of this caliber and you're really trying to get something decent in very little time uh it's it's really difficult so having people who come in and give you something uh pretty good or very good or great uh straight out of the gate with you know with some discussion as to what they're doing is the way that you can move through this amount of material quickly so i was you know, I saw, I knew for a long time that the type of talent this piece was attracting. Because Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins were attached for about two and a half years before we shot. Uh, and that gave me the confidence that we would be able to do it uh, in this amount of time or, or performers of, of that caliber. Yeah, I'm sure it's because you gave them the opportunity in the first couple of acts to just have that incredible dialogue and develop their characters. It's fantastic just to watch them act in that situation. Anyway, Craig, thanks so much for your time. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. I hope Bone Tomahawk is a big success because I really, really enjoyed it and all the best to you, sir. Cool. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. No problem. Have a good evening. You too. And now my conversation with legendary actor Sid Haig. Hi, Sid. How are you? Okay, John. How are you going? Oh, very good, sir. Very good. Um, so I wanted to ask you, first of all, how did the project of Bone Tomahawk come to you? It just came to me. Uh, I was offered the role, and uh, I read the script, and it was so intelligently written, and the characters were so clearly drawn that I just uh, I had to do it. And what was it like working with David Arquette and the director? Fantastic. David Arkin is a great guy. He's fun to work with, and we had uh, uh, very little time to develop the uh, relationship between the two characters, but that went really well and quickly as we established, you know, uh, that relationship. <laughs> Through uh, maybe the first rehearsal, first and second rehearsal for the first shot we did. Um, and Craig Zeller is uh, an amazing guy, very intelligent, uh, and extremely creative, and uh, he does his homework. So people have a, a preconceived notion of first-time directors, and uh, he doesn't fit that uh, slot at all. Really did his homework and, and knew what he wanted to do, and he was pretty much on the money all the time. Yeah. And were you a fan of westerns going into the movie? Uh, as a kid, I grew up, you know, watching westerns. I mean, uh, <clears throat> when I was a when I was a young kid, there were basically westerns and you know, horror films and musicals and comedies. And, uh, you know, those were the big four genres to, to, to look at. That was the occasional call of the top ten. Uh, so I, you know, grew up watching. All right. 
excellent. So it was uh, fun to be in one, I imagine. Um, so you've had incredible uh, longevity in your career across many different genres. Um, what do you attribute that to? Never quitting. <laughs> Sorry, never quitting, right? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just keep going. Um, you know, and, and I keep looking for um, scripts that are intelligent and with good storylines and, and well-drawn characters. And the reality is, though, that sometimes you have to pay the bills and sometimes take a, a film that might ordinarily not want to do, but the reality is that you uh, have bills to pay. So you take it. I hope nobody sees it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And uh, just lastly, then, um, Sid, uh, your work with Pam Greer is some of my favorite from the from the seventies films you did with her. Do you have any lasting memories of that time in your career that you can share with us? Um, well, she and I just became great friends uh, almost instantly. Um, uh, I just, you know, think she's a wonderful person and of course she's gorgeous and, and all the you know, all the rest of that that goes along with it. But uh she's a very classy lady and you know you know, we we had a great time together. We did six films together and uh we just, you know, grew as as friends. And when I did uh Jackie Brown uh, Quentin didn't tell Pam that he had cast me in the role of the judge and she showed up on the set. She just took one look at me in the, in the black robes and started cracking up. She just fell on the floor and uh, laughing. It was, it was good. And we hadn't seen one another in a long time, but it was like we had had lunch the day before. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you ever so much um, for your uh, time today. And uh, I really enjoyed Bone Tomahawk, and it was a great surprise to see you come up at the beginning of the movie uh, as a fan of your other work. So um, thanks so much for talking to us today. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.